It's October, listeners, and I'm still Quinn Lovecraft. This remains 31, a podcast about the things we keep buried and the things we don't. You probably know someone who is really creeped out by clowns. And honestly, that's valid. The history of clowning is messy, and they did not start off as children's party guests. Many of the ones who appeared in circuses at the turn of the century, so think like late 1800s, early 1900s, were satirical and very adult humor-centered. More like a court jester. I remember in college, I attended this workshop slash audition for a Buffon-style piece that was all about taking small pieces of life, like the little things that someone does when they walk, and exaggerating them to be as big as possible until it was like a grotesque kind of movement, which is way more akin to the kind of clowns I'm talking about here. But still, those clowns were the fun ones. Two of the most famous clowns in the 1800s, whose styles influenced the clowns we know today, had really dark lives. In Britain, you had Grimaldi, who once joked, I'm grim all day, but I make you laugh at night. I mean, really, the only joke in there was the pun, because grim was an understatement. Grimaldi lost everyone he loved prematurely and ended up dying completely broke of, well, the coroner said he died by the visitation of God. And the most popular French mime, Pierrot, who is largely credited with bringing elegance to the art of miming, was played by Jean-Gaspard de Bureau, who killed a boy with his walking stick because the boy insulted him and his new wife. He went to trial for murder, but he, he was acquitted because the court was like, yeah, you know, I get it. And a bunch of people went to the courthouse to witness this trial, but it wasn't because they were outraged over the murder of a child. They just wanted to hear what the mime's voice sounded like. So the fathers of modern clowning were full of deep unhappiness. And in the grand scheme of the history of clowns and clown-like figures, clowns have only been depicted and perceived as innocent friends to children for a tiny part of it. And that part is not right now. I mean, there's a reason you barely see Ronald McDonald around anymore. But those turn-of-the-century clowns must have fallen somewhere in that category, because it was around then that Clarence David began collecting figurines of clowns. And he had amounted a collection of about 150 by the time he died in 1911. Two of his children, Leona and Leroy, hung onto that collection for decades, until in 1985, they opened a motel in Tonopah, Nevada, where they could display his figurines. Their intentions were really heartwarming. They displayed the clowns because their father loved them, and they opened the motel next to a cemetery because that's where their dad is buried. But you can't combine clowns and cemetery without inviting some thrill seekers in, especially in the 1980s when clowns had stopped being fun again. For context, the clown motel opened up only five years after serial killer John Wayne Gacy, popularly called the killer clown because he had worked as a party clown, was convicted of murdering 33 people. So that was in the zeitgeist, and pretty immediately people started saying, oh, that creepy clown motel? Yeah, definitely haunted. Ownership of the clown motel transferred to Bob and Deborah Perchetti from 1995 to 2019. Bob Perchetti had actually done business with Leroy David for years, decades before then. In fact, I thought I had stumbled upon this crazy full circle moment because Bob Perchetti's mother had found a bunch of old mining stock, and she gave it to this guy named Nick Barberich. She said, hey, can you tell me if this is worth anything? 
And Nick Barberich said, oh, no, it's it's not worth anything. And he didn't give it back to her. Then when he died in 1996, he left an estate of a million dollars to his wife. So Bob Perchetti was like, hmm, was that million dollars my mother's mining stock? And Nick Barberich's wife, who now had a million dollar estate, her name was Leona. Leona David, one of the two siblings who built the Clown Motel. So I thought it would be really funny if Bob Perchetti ended up operating a motel that was built with his mother's money. But Nick Barberich didn't die until 1996, well after the motel was built. Also, Leroy David and Leona David were both very embedded into Noba business already. Leroy David actually ran the L&L Motel, and he lived in an apartment above it with his wife Angie. His apartment was where Howard Hughes... Howard Hughes, the aviation industry giant, married Jean Peters. Bob Perchetti has actually said that he was trying to see if they could make it a Howard Hughes museum. He was like in contact with Howard Hughes memorabilia collectors, but the LNL ended up being so run down that the whole thing was just demolished. In 2017, Bob Perchetti said, you know what? I think it's time for me to retire. I want to spend time with my family. So he put the motel up for sale with the stipulation that the buyer had to keep the clowns. In 2019, the sale was finalized and the Mayer family took over. They seem like the best people to have taken it over because they're actually experienced hoteliers from Las Vegas and they have really Las Vegas-fied it. They poured a ton of money into fixing it up, revamping the colorful spotted clown exterior, and they leaned hard into the spooky vibe. Like every room looks really creepy, whether it's clown themed or not. They have a Halloween, like the movie Halloween themed room. They have an exorcist themed room. If you look up Clown Motel on YouTube, the first videos are like seven almost identical thumbnails of YouTubers daring each other to spend a night in the Clown Motel. And I think that's exactly what the Mayer family wanted. But what makes the Clown Motel so particularly interesting is the history of what happened on that soil. A history that has very little, really not much anything to do with clowns. See, unfortunately, Clarence David, owner of the original clown collection and father of Leona and Leroy, he did not die a natural and peaceful death. He died in a mine fire. It appears that the land that is now Tonopah, Nevada, was inhabited by the indigenous Southern Paiute people until their land was claimed via session in 1874. By 1900, settlers were coming in from the eastern U.S. in search of precious metals. A couple of guys found silver in the area, they bought a bunch of land, and soon the mining town of Tonopah, Nevada was formed. And with this, in 1901, the Tonopah Cemetery, a cemetery that still exists to this day next to the Clown Motel. There are also some rumors that I want to address. Um, a lot of times when you look up information about the Tonopah Cemetery, one of the first things that you'll read is about a mysterious plague that occurred in 1902 or 1901 or 1905, depending on who you ask, and it supposedly killed 56 people. But historians of the graveyard have cited a correction issued in a paper from around that time that basically said, Oh, sorry, it was actually 27 people who died of pneumonia in the winter, and that's a normal number for a town of 1500 in the early 1900s. There was also illness attributed to poor sanitation, particularly near the slaughterhouse. Not good, but not mysterious. The real issue was the mining. Mining was extremely dangerous. Also, I find this kind of weird, but there's another episode I'm going to release in probably a week or so, and that story revolves around a clown 
And a lot of the research that I was doing for it, it led me to these newspaper articles about mining accidents. Like there were frequently little paragraphs in papers that said, so-and-so is missing. They went out west to mine for gold a year ago. We have not heard from them since. Any news, please write to these people. Really kind of creepy to just see these like missing persons reports in the paper. But I mean, that was obviously happening a lot because mining was so dangerous. And I'll have to double check. I think that story is sort of in the same area of the West and it is sort of around the same time period. So mostly it just weirds me out that clowns are tangentially involved in both. Anyway, there were a number of ways that one could get into an accident in a mine. You could be run over by a cart. You could have things fall on you. But one of the biggest dangers of mining was fire. First of all, the tunnels and the carts, they were made from wood, like really flammable timber. Second, the fires could start over a thousand feet down. And the only way back up a lot of times were through these cages, cages that would lower and raise people into and from the mine. And if a fire starts in a confined space while you're that deep underground and your only way out is a cage, it's really hard to get everyone out. A lot of sources say they don't know the origins of these fires, and I guess technically that is true, but it's there's not a ton of mystery here. It's not like they were using LED flashlights to see. One cracked lantern and that flame could ignite the whole tunnel. And once that happened, the fire would often burn for days. And after it was finally out, they would spend a few days retimbering before going down there again. Funnily enough, and I can say that because no one died in this case, a fire even destroyed the offices of the Tonopa Daily Bonanza in 1912. That is one of the papers that gave us a lot of the information about the mining fires and about Tonopa that we know today. The fire was a huge issue everywhere in Tonopa. And there were a lot of efforts to enhance their fire department by putting in a new water main, by enhancing the water main, by advocating for alarm bells. And the fire department did sometimes help out with these mine fires, but I mean, again, it's a mine, it's really deep. They could only do so much. Also, I am not making this up. One of the biggest fires that happened in Tonopa took place at the Belmont Mine, and it happened on Halloween night, 1939. Before that, the worst fire in Tonopa was in 1911, also at the Belmont Mine. Tragically, this one saw a lot of loss of life. It could have been worse, though. After the fire broke out, a man known as Big Bill Murphy heroically re-entered the mine and saved three cagefuls of miners from the fire. But when the third group emerged, he wasn't with them, and he became one of 17 victims claimed by the fire. There's a statue dedicated to Big Bill, and you can pay your respects at his grave in the old Tonopa Cemetery. Clarence David, owner of the original clown collection that inspired the clown motel, was one of the people who died in the mining fire in 1911. At least, it's very, very likely that he was. There was a Clarence David who died in this fire, and he's buried in the cemetery. But the Clown Motel's website says that the man who owned the clown collection died in a mine fire in 1942. I looked and looked, and I could not find any record of a fire happening in 1942, so I actually think this is a typo. It also appears that his daughter, Leona, passed away in 2004 at the age of 94, and she was born in 1910. So she definitely could have been the daughter of a man who died in 1911. I'm also hesitant to believe that 1942 is accurate because 
Tonopah was hit hard by the Great Depression, and mining started to evaporate as its main industry. Railroads around Tonopah folded up, the economy was in shambles, it's actually pretty impressive that Tonopah didn't collapse into a ghost town. But over the course of those 40-some years that Tonopah was rife with eager silver seekers, the graveyard supposedly ended up housing about 50,000 people. If you go to the cemetery today, it does not look like it holds 50,000 people. And if you think you know where I'm going with this, you're probably right. The Clown Motel was built on top of graves. We don't know this for sure, but a recent look into the history of the cemetery has heavily implied that there are bodies under the buildings that exist near the cemetery. So if you go to the Clown Motel and you find yourself haunted by a clown doll, don't worry. It's probably just a silver miner who died in a fire inhabiting the body of a clown doll. Does that make it better? Thank you for listening to 31. I um, accidentally subscribed to a year's worth of newspapers.com. So to make me feel a little better about that, please check out the podcast Instagram at 31pod31 to view some of the historic newspaper clippings about Tonopah. Also, um, there's a little cartoon of an owl named Zimmy that was right next to one of these articles about the mines. Um, And Zimmy is saying something about the weather that I just do not understand. Maybe it's not supposed to be a joke. I thought it was supposed to be a joke. So uh, check that out and let me know in the comments what you think he's talking about. Again, that's at 31pod31. And if you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends so we can be on this spooky journey together. Bye-bye.